0: morning, everyone, and welcome to Bethel Lutheran Church. I hope you are keeping cool in this crazy heat if you are in California. I'm Pastor Amy Beveridge serving today with our gifted music and sound team, and this is our virtual worship experience. I want to thank all of you for listening this week, for carving out a moment to receive the word in song, sermon, prayer, especially during such a busy time of year with the Labor Day weekend on us. If you are traveling and tuning in, thank you for being here, and please travel safely home to us after these holidays. Before we begin diving into Paul's first missionary journey, that's going to be our focus today, I did want to make sure you know what an exciting Sunday we have ahead of us on September 11th. We're going to welcome our new intern, Monica Holman, install her officially during worship, and then celebrate with a light brunch. She's already been attending meetings and making a new home for herself here I'm super grateful for the intern support team that we've gathered from our congregation. She's going to have great feedback from lay leaders and lovely reflections with them, I'm sure. So yes, big, big changes to our staff and a big shift in focus for our church as we become a teaching site for the denomination. We are delighted to be working with Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota to make all of this possible. I did want to put another event on your radar this month. It is our Blessing of the Quilts and Kits service on September 25th. That is a congregational favorite, so make sure you save that date. I think that's all for us. Fabulous worship experiences ahead, the start of all our Bible studies and ministry groups. This is such a rich, rich time of year full of anticipation for all the projects and learning and service we will do together. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our weekly emails. That is the best, best way to keep up with everything happening for us here in North County and beyond. You can do that actually on our website. Just contact us there. On that note, let us settle into this time together, prepare ourselves to receive the presence and guidance of God today. And as I always like to say, let us worship in spirit and truth. To quote a famous Bible writer, none other than John, let us praise the Holy One. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of all mercy and consolation, come to the help of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit that we may confess our sin, receive your forgiveness, and grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Let us confess now our sin in the presence of God and with one another. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, and for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy re- Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above
2: How your kindness yet pursues me How your mercy never fails me Till the day that death shall lose me I will sing, oh, I will sing, how your kindness yet pursues me, how your mercy never fails me, till the day that death shall
1: I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above.
0: us pray. Oh, Lord God, give us life and preserve your people with your mercy. We mortals will fail all the time. Remove us from anything that is harmful. Stand between us and all that hurts us and lead us toward all that gives life and salvation through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, after bidding a mysterious goodbye to Peter, at least to his story—we do hear from him again in Jerusalem—we have arrived at the launch of Paul's missionary work in earnest. I'm going to take this time before we hear the scriptures read to take us through a quick summary of Acts 13 and 14. I definitely encourage you to go and read it for yourselves. You know, make a little plot of of the narrative, because it can be a confusing story to follow if you don't. But I'm going to give you the cliff notes here. So you'll see we're at the start of chapter 13. Paul is now front and center for the focus of the act story, and there he's going to stay through the remainder of the book. And here he begins the first of three big journeys that he's going to undertake over the course of two decades in an effort to spread the good news out into the empire. And that's that's what this gospel, or excuse me, that's what this book is going to cover, is going to cover these journeys. And that's important to appreciate as well. Paul is always moving towards the powers of the empire, towards the centers of economics and culture and administrative power. He is fiercely convicted and courageous, still zealous for the Lord, but zealous in a new way, in a nonviolent way. When we see him in chapter 13, he's staying in Antioch, a city of incredible significance for the early Christians. And there he is commissioned with traveling companions by the Holy Spirit to head out into Gentile territory, uh, specifically southern Turkey. As I say, this is the first of three journeys that he is going to make, like this, where he sets out on a mission for years at a time and then returns to report. Mm-hmm. Something that we find hard to take in is just how much time the book of Acts covers. As I say, this is the first of three journeys that he will make like this, where he sets out on a mission for years at a time and then returns to report. And sometimes we find it hard to take in just how much time the book of Acts covers, because the gospels, each of those, those just cover about one to three years, depending on which one. But the book of Acts covers decades, right? So it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference for us. So here we are in Antioch, and off he goes. And it's slow traveling, sailing and walking, sometimes running from these towns, having to stop and make a little money along the way and subsist. And we discover in these two travelogue chapters, things generally follow the same pattern. Paul and company arrive in town, they visit the local synagogue, they're invited to share some of their teaching, and then he preaches up a storm of Jewish history, naming Jesus as Messiah, and then, of course, there is a reaction. Now, Usually, Paul is well-received initially, even enthusiastically received, but that very reception then causes jealousy with the leaders within the community, and competition begins. After that, Paul gets chucked out of the synagogue, so then goes off to preach to the Gentiles in the same town where he will find some new followers and sometimes a house church is founded. And that's the way the pattern goes again and again. Arrival, synagogue teaching, divided reactions, uh, rejection, sometimes violence, Gentile reception, and then he moves on to the next community. So he does this for months on end, all the while writing letters to these communities that he's come to know, which we have record of in the rest of the New Testament. And if you want to deepen your learning on this, I really encourage you, please visit our sermon notes here online and listen or read to the resources that I've given you. Now, the fact that the Gentiles seem to be more receptive to his message than the Jewish worshiping communities, this is what is so mind-blowing and unexpected and what he takes back to Antioch to report. And of course, that is a generalization. He meets all kinds of people of different religious affiliations. Some follow, some who do not. Some are Jewish, some are Gentile, some are both. But it remains the focus is on the desire of the non traditional followers of the Hebrew God to be included in this promise. This will be the transformative message Paul returns with. So when he gets back to Antioch, he arrives into a growing dispute one that will be familiar to you Bible study students, and that's where we're going to drop in now into Acts 15. What's the conflict that has erupted among those first leaders while he was away? So let us now hear our word for the day.
3: A reading from the book of Acts, the 15th chapter. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. And as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles, And brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers, who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us, and in cleansing their hearts by faith. He has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return. And I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. From its ruins, I will rebuild it, and I will set it up, so that all people may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are returning to God. But we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instruction from us, have said things to disturb you, and have unsettled your minds. We have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Psalm 1.
4: Happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful.
3: Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on God's teaching day and night.
4: They're like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season, with leaves that do not wither.
3: It is not so with the wicked. They are like chaff, which the wind blows away.
4: Therefore the wicked shall not stand upright when judgment comes, nor the sinner in the counsel of the righteous.
3: For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall be destroyed. Amen.
2: Saving word let it burn like fire within us. Speak until our hearts are stirred. Hallelujah, Lord we sing for the good news that you bring.
0: A reading from the Gospel of Luke, the fourteenth chapter. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, All who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. For what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The gospel of the Lord. Well, I certainly regret that we are not diving into that gospel passage today. I think there is so much wisdom uh, in those words, and they do need some digging in the translation especially. I think they come across pretty hard in the English, a little bit easier in the Greek to understand uh, what Jesus is talking about. There's also a lot of correlation to the life of Paul, so I I encourage you to spend some time in that that passage this week. So Ian, my husband, and I were chatting over tea this last couple days ago, actually, and as often happens, I was brainstorming about my sermon. I need some stories, I said. I need some stories about times people have changed their mind. One of the ones that I remembered about him, and he had no memory of this, and that's always funny in families, who remembers what? So uh, I reminded him of an early incident when we were first married before Ian had his immigration work permit. So it's pretty early on. And as I share this story, I want to invite you to think of your own stories. When was a time you changed your mind about something, especially a belief or a core conviction? When have you changed your mind about a belief or a core conviction? Now, the story I'm going to share now is pretty non-triggering, and I picked this one. It's It's innocuous to tell you because I want you to be thinking about your own selves and not get derailed by a potent topic. I have plenty of potent topics about change, but let's go with something simple today. So here Ian was, unable to yet work, but with a clear idea about his skills and how he would use them, he wanted to work outdoors. To make connections, he started working with a group of volunteer trail builders who gathered once a month to do some pretty heavy-duty work with the city rangers out in the open spaces. He enjoyed the company of those dedicated guys, but there was one ranger in particular, we'll call him Joe, who got under his skin. He was unimpressed with Joe. Within a few months and after his permit arrived, he was recruited to the city open space team and landed the job that would set him on the path of becoming the ranger that he is today. He was assigned a supervisor and specific region, and lo and behold, his reporting ranger was Joe. It's funny how the universe slash God does that. So I'm not sure when it happened, but at some point, and I don't even think it took that long, Ian decided that in fact, Joe might be all right. They forged a great mentoring friendship, and to this day, Ian has no recollection of that initial conversation we had when he had judged so quickly that Joe was not his kind of guy. Ian changed his mind. I remember this story because I've always been interested in the moments not just when change happens, but when a story we tell ourselves also changes. So taking this moment, it's not uncommon to meet someone that we are unsure about but then discover friendship. I think that actually happens frequently. But Ian, he always told himself that his first impressions were never wrong. This is something that he really loved about himself. He was a quick judge of character. And once he made up his mind about you, that was it. He used to say that all the time. But Joe poked a hole in his self-understanding. Turns out that Ian was more flexible than he thought himself. Turns out he could balance his sense of judgment with a smidge of humility. Turns out that people are more complicated than they first appear. So not just a change in relationship, but a change in self-understanding. So with that in mind, consider what we heard in Acts 15 today. Here was a question that to this point had plagued the early followers of Jesus. They were Jewish and their identity. As I was reminded by the podcast teachings I follow this week, Paul was not trying to found a new religion. He was experiencing Jesus as the faithful next step in Judaism. But the problem was, as with everything societal— What rituals would someone need to take on to enter the Hebrew covenant by way of Jesus? How do we belong? How do we signify our belonging? What aspects of the culture would they need to adopt? How assimilated would they need to be? And circumcision was one of those pressure points. And so you see the argument and the debate laid out plainly in Acts 15. And we're giving it attention today because this was a turning point in the development of Christianity. The Jerusalem leaders of the early church listen to Peter and Paul describing the attractive force of the kingdom of God, and then they consider, are we putting up barriers to their entry that might not need to be there? And the elders respond. They consider, what is actually core to our identity? And they decide it might not be this ritual that could be meaningful for us and have historical power— But actually, it serves as a barrier for them who are new to faith and living beyond our borders. What binds us together is grace and our stand against idolatry for the one God. That is what these verses say. If you dig into the prohibitions that they settle on, like what should we restrain from as we become one people, all of those are united under the heading of idolatry. Those are the core issues on which the church will settle, not circumcision. Truthfully, but to a lesser degree, this is a lot like when people tell me what being a Lutheran is. And I always say, you've heard this from me over and over, especially on leadership. Ask those on ministry teams, ask those on council. Lutherans have many and varied rituals and cultural preferences, but none of those actually make us Lutheran. Grace is what makes us Lutheran. Our message is the most important thing about our identity. Of course, these decisions for the early church were hard to make. They came with risk. What will we lose if we do this? If we give this up, then what next? Does it mean that we are no longer relevant if we give up this gateway ritual? What about me and what I have fought for? All those questions are super scary in an age of anxiety and trauma and disruption. But they do it. And had they not settled on a unified core message, no doubt the church would have dwindled away in a few hundred years or just simply been reabsorbed back into Judaism. God is always working to make us expansive and to entrust our mission to the Holy Spirit. Relook at the gospel reading today. That's exactly what Jesus talks about, the expansive power of God and trust in God. Sitting with our tea this week, Ian objected to my story about him. He said, But I didn't change. I still trust my intuition. I still judge people quickly. And if I didn't, I couldn't serve and protect the community and my work. And it's true. He trusts his gut, values his first impression. Yes, I said, But you're also open to being wrong. And maybe it's not about change, but it's also about sacrifice. You are who you are, but you can sacrifice needing to be right all the time about everyone and everything. You've given up some rigidity, and he does. It's actually something I deeply admire about him. He is open to not getting it right and then admitting it. Those Jerusalem Christians still kept their rituals. They still believed in their value, but they were willing to sacrifice their primacy to broaden the relationships beyond their territory. They could live with multiple truths. In the last few years, this has become a lost art in our culture and we've all felt it, the lost ability to rest easy in the reality that not everyone needs to believe like we do, see the world as we do, not everyone needs to become us. We've lost our ability to interrogate our own beliefs. We have all the shame and rage about admitting we only have a partial view. We know this from the falling out in families, the way people no longer are able to connect because we cannot separate who we are from being right or wrong in any given issue this has caused us tremendous pain. I love this chapter in Acts because it gives us a roadmap back if we want to follow it. The leaders on these pages affirm for us a life together is worth sacrifice and maybe even rewriting the story that we have about ourselves. I know you also have stories like this. When did you change? Because you have along the way. When did you find a new story about yourself? Or all the better, When did you not change but sacrificed for a relationship anyway? Those are stories worth telling. We need them like we need this book. We need the assurance of them more than ever, and I hope that you will share them. Amen.
1: Like the whiteness of the sea, There's a kindness in God's justice Which is more than liberty. There is no place where earth's sorrows Are more felt than up in heaven. There is no place where earth's failings Have such kindly judgment given. There is welcome for the sinner, and a promised grace made good. There is mercy with the Savior, there is healing in His blood. There is grace enough for thousands of new worlds as great as this. There is room for fresh creations In that upper home of bliss. For the love of God is broader Than the measures of our mind, And the heart of the Eternal Is most wonderfully kind. But we make love to narrow by false limits of our own and we magnify its strictness with a zeal God will not own tis not all we owe to jesus It is something more than all Greater good because of evil Larger mercy through the fall Make our love, O God, more faithful Let us take you at your word And our lives will be thanksgiving For the goodness of the Lord
4: I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
0: Our closing prayer today is a blessing from Diane New, and I read this every year. And this weekend, I love it so much. So wherever you are, please hold the hand of someone near you or simply gaze upon your own hands as I share these words. In honor of Labor Day, Blessed be the works of your hands, O Holy One. Blessed be the hands that have touched life. Blessed be these hands that have nurtured creativity. Blessed be these hands that have held pain. Blessed be these hands that have embraced with passion. Blessed be these hands that have tended gardens. Blessed be these hands that have closed in anger. Blessed be these hands that have planted new seeds. Blessed be these hands that have harvested ripe fields. Blessed be these hands that have cleaned, washed, mopped, scrubbed. Blessed be these hands that have become naughty with age. Blessed be these hands that are wrinkled and scarred from doing justice. Blessed be these hands that have reached out and been received. Blessed be these hands that hold the promise of the future. Blessed be the works of your hands, O Holy One. Remember us in your kingdom, O God, and teach us to pray. Our Father, May the Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own, I claim, But wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness fails His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, His covenant, His blood, sustain me in the raging flood. When all supports are washed away, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found. Clothed in his righteousness alone, Redeemed to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, All other ground is sinking sand, All other ground is sinking sand.
0: Go in peace, love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.